this morning is taken from the uh, book of Nehemiah, and uh, we're going to uh, we're going to read this together. The words are on the screen. It's uh, Nehemiah chapter one. Let's uh, read this together. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, and I am one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you today and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commandments, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revealing your name. Give your success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I will cut down to the king. Let's pray together as we uh, come to open up God's word this morning. Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the story of Nehemiah. And we pray that as we look through this story that you will speak into our hearts and into our minds, but also into our church. That you will give us guidance and direction. And that you will help us to be the people of God. So speak to us, we pray this morning, through the power of your Holy Spirit working in each one of us, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well we are beginning a a new series this morning, looking at uh, the book of Nehemiah, and... um, I'm calling this series uh, Just Another Brick in the Wall. 
And uh, some of you might wonder where on earth I've got this title from. And uh, we've got a little bit of an introduction just to demonstrate where the title comes from. You'll have to refrain from joining and uh, singing just for now. But yes, all in all, it's just another brick in the wall. We're going to be looking at uh, the story of Nehemiah over these next uh, few Sunday mornings. And uh, this morning we're going to be uh, thinking about uh, how... uh, We're going to be thinking that Nehemiah was uh, receiving uh, the vision. And uh, over the coming weeks we're going to be seeing how Nehemiah... Uh, released the vision, uh, how Nehemiah uh, shared the vision with other people and how Nehemiah actually came to realise that vision. So we're going to be thinking very much um, about uh, vision over these next few Sunday mornings, uh, using the book of Nehemiah as as a focus and a springboard to think about what our mission here and our vision here at LUM is. And... uh, the first thing that I want to say about, uh, about Nehemiah and about vision um, <clears throat> is that it's interesting to note where the vision that Nehemiah had, um, somebody mentioned that the walls, uh, the fact that he was eventually going to be uh, rebuilding the walls, where did this vision come from? Well, we read that uh, uh, some of Nehemiah's relatives came to visit him and uh, told him about the state's of Jerusalem. Here's the backstory uh, to uh, Nehemiah. It was around 587 BC. Uh, the Babylonians had invaded Judah and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And uh, many of the uh, Israelites had been carried off into exile. Uh, but after about 70 years after the invasion, Cyrus, the king of Persia, gave the Jews permission to return to Jerusalem. And some of them returned and began rebuilding the temple. Uh, under the leadership of a man named Zerubbabel, uh, these exiled Jews returned to Jerusalem and started to rebuild the temple. And things were looking good for a while, uh, but then the people did not remain uh, faithful to their religion and sacrifices. And they started to adopt uh, practices from the culture uh, that had invaded their city. And one of the things that never got repaired uh, were the walls. And... Uh, these relatives come and they visit Nehemiah and they, they tell him of the state of Jerusalem. And so the first thing about vision that I notice is that a vision 
begins as a concern. Vision begins as a concern. Nehemiah hears about the plight of his people back in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is concerned about what is happening to the people and also about what is happening to the city. That's where his vision starts. Visions always begin somewhere. This you may uh, recognise, you'll recognise the person on the right, but the other person is, is Walt Disney. And he is quoted as saying, always remember this whole thing started with a mouse. This whole thing started with a mouse. Uh, any vision always has a starting point somewhere. Sometimes it can be something as small as a, as a mouse. Sometimes it can be something uh, much bigger. But Nehemiah's uh, vision started to uh, stir in his heart as he hears about the plight of his people and he is concerned about what is happening. So a vision begins as a concern. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down. That's what he hears uh, the people say, the news that is brought to Nehemiah. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down. And it's when I heard these things that Nehemiah says, I sat down and I wept. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. I wonder when was the last time uh, that you sat down and wept? Uh, maybe it was when your football team uh, didn't do so well. Uh, maybe it was when uh, you were exhausted because the children had just pushed too many buttons and uh, you, felt like, uh, you felt like giving up on being a parent. I wonder when was the last time that you actually sat down and wept. But where, when was the last time that something stirred your heart so much? You heard some news or you saw something on the television uh, that it actually led you uh, to weep. <clears throat> I guess most of us will have heard of uh, David Wilkinson, the, the author of the, of the book and uh, later the film, uh, The Cross and the Switchblade. If you know his story, um, David Wilkinson was a pastor in rural Pennsylvania. And one night he came across an article in Time magazine about some teenage gang members on trial for murder in New York City. And it says that as he looked at the sketches made by the courtroom artist, he was overwhelmed by the hatred that he could see in these young men's eyes. He couldn't ignore it. He couldn't get it out of his mind. It broke his heart. David Wilkinson was, in, in many respects, a, a nobody. Just a country preacher from a tiny church. And uh, he had no influence. He had no uh, particular resources at his disposal. Uh, he didn't even have a decent car. But he couldn't stop thinking about this image that he'd seen in the magazine. It broke his heart. You probably know his story, what happened. He went to New York City uh, to share the gospel with these boys and uh, uh, eventually uh, some of them came to faith and uh, he developed this thing called Teen Challenge and, uh, and he started a church in, in New York, in Times Square, uh, which has now grown to about 8,000 people worshipping each week. But it all started because he had this vision that was stirred by a concern that he had for these young men, just an image of these young men that stirred something in his heart. It broke his heart to see these people, that he felt that he had to do something about it, that he made that trip, and out of that a vision was born. 
Some of you may have uh, uh, heard of Andy Hawthorne and, uh, and the message uh, working with uh, young people in Manchester. Uh, in, in his book, A Diary of a Dangerous Vision, uh, Andy Hawthorne uh, tells his story about how the message was born. He talks about the fact that he was working with his brother Simon uh, in a small leather factory and uh, things were starting to take off and business was starting to come in and they went to the job centre and, and said, give us any workers that you can possibly give us. We'll take anybody. And the job centre said, took them on the word and sent them anybody. And he said, we got these uh, bunch of young men that nobody else would give a job to. Uh, some of them had been in prison. Uh, some of them had never had a job before. And he said they were hopeless. <laughs> they weren't great workers. He said, but his heart went out to these people uh, who didn't know Jesus. And that was the birth of his vision uh, for the message and reaching young people in Manchester. And of course, that's uh, taken off. And now it's a huge organisation doing all sorts of things, uh, not just in Manchester, but all over the country and reaching out to other parts of the world, working with young people. But it started with a concern because his heart was broken for people that didn't know the gospel. And uh, I just wonder, you know, as we look out over the walls of Lom. Uh, into our community uh, and the people uh, around us, uh, whether we have that same concern, whether we are broken-hearted that there are people around us that haven't heard the good news of Jesus Christ, whether we have a concern uh, to reach out into this community with the gospel, because it would seem to me that this is where visions are born when the people have a concern, when they see a need, when they see something that stirs and breaks their hearts, that people start to think, I can't not do anything about this. What is it that we feel that we cannot not do anything about? Is it something on the news? There's all sorts of awful things happening around the world or is it something closer to home where we can have an impact as a, a group of deacons we're we're looking at vision at the moment and uh, we're trying to come up with a, a mission a mission a vision statement and that's not just so that we've got a, a nice kind of slogan uh, to stick on our, our stationery it's so that we can say uh, to the church and to people outside this is what we are about this is what we are about at Lum Baptist Church. This is what concerns us. This is what we're trying to do. And as deacons, we're kind of, we're working through that. Uh, we're taking our time. We're not rushing it. We're trying to come up with the words that really will help us to focus on what it is God is calling us to do. So a vision begins as a concern for Nehemiah. It was the news from back home uh, that the walls were in disrepair, that they'd been burned with fire, and that uh, it was causing great trouble and the people were in disgrace. And Nehemiah, when he heard this, he sat down and he wept about the situation. So a vision begins as a concern. But secondly, I'd want to say a vision... is born out of prayer. A vision starts as a concern, begins as a concern, but a vision will only ever be born out of the people who God, who then seek God about this concern, about this heartfelt need. A vision is born out of prayer. 
And what, um, what Nehemiah does, after he had wept, for some days I mourned, fasted, and prayed. For some days I mourned, fasted, and prayed. The vision started as a concern for the city of Jerusalem, uh, which Nehemiah then takes to God. He takes his concern to God and he gets on his knees and uh, he mourns and he fasts. And several things happens. This is quite a lengthy prayer. The, most of the chapter one is taken up with this prayer of Nehemiah about the situation in Jerusalem. And it's interesting just to look at the prayer uh, because the first thing that happens in the prayer is that Nehemiah becomes aware of the person that he's praying to. And that might seem obvious, but when we pray to God, uh, sometimes we don't pray to God, uh, really recognising who God is. And he starts his prayer by saying, Oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. This is the God that created the heavens and the earth. And Nehemiah, as he prays, as he comes into the presence of God, he becomes aware of who God is. And that's what should happen when we, when we pray to God. It isn't just about taking our concerns. It's showing our awareness of who God is. And we kneel down and we become aware of how big and how great and how mighty God is. So that's the first thing that happens as, as Nehemiah prays. prays. He becomes aware of who he's praying to. And then as he prays, he's reminded that his God is the God who keeps the covenant of love. He says, who keeps the covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. In other words, his God is a faithful God. He can look back and seeing that God has been a faithful God. This is the God of, of Moses. This is the God of Isaiah and Jeremiah. This is the God who has spoken to people over the centuries. And that he's been faithful to his covenant. So he becomes aware of who God is. And then he's reminded of God's faithfulness in the past. That he's one who keeps his covenant promises. But as he does that, he also becomes aware of his situation. And the situation of the people back home. And he recognises that they haven't been an obedient people. That they haven't been a a people that have have, uh, kept the commandments. And so his prayer turns to a prayer of repentance. And he says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. And again, this is what happens when we pray. We become aware of God's greatness we're reminded of his promises and that he's faithful. But then we become aware of ourselves and we recognise that in many ways and in on many situations, uh, we don't keep God's covenant, we don't keep God's law, and we let God down. So he offers this prayer of uh, repentance, asking for uh, forgiveness. And so, <clears throat> a vision is born out of a concern uh, but it, it, it needs to be soaked in prayer. Everybody could see that the walls had broken down. Uh, that, that wasn't the, the hard bit. And it isn't the hard bit, isn't it? Seeing the need. We know that there's a, a, a community out there that is in desperate need of Jesus Christ in their lives. We know that. Uh, it doesn't take anybody very clever to be able to realise that. 
uh, the clever thing is knowing what to do about it. And uh, Nehemiah gives us an example of when we have a concern that we need to take it to God and we need to spend time praying about that concern before we do anything else. Sometimes there's a kind of, uh, there's, there's, there's a wanting of a knee-jack reaction to be able to do something. Uh, you know, we like to be a, a people that are doing things. And uh, Nehemiah shows us the first thing to do is to get down on our knees and to pray about the situation. So a vision, it's, it starts as a concern, it's born out of a prayer. And then thirdly, um, Vision does not always require immediate action. A vision doesn't always require immediate action. Um, there's always a uh, there's always that kind of sense of urgency that we need to be doing stuff. You know, uh, what's this church doing? What's this up to? What's happening next? Uh, what's the next program? What's the next big idea? What's the next thing that we're going to get involved in and, and do? And uh, a vision takes time. Begins with a concern, uh, it's born out of prayer, but it doesn't necessarily uh, always require immediate action. Uh, Nehemiah, uh, for some days, doesn't say how many days, but for some days, uh, didn't do anything, he just prayed to God. He just opened his heart out to God and prayed about it. <clears throat> and then, uh, in that prayer, We've seen that that prayer took him all over the place. But he said, give your servant success. So often we pray to God and we expect God to answer our prayers. And we very often sit there passively. But Nehemiah has already decided that he's going to do something. And he's asking God to give him success in what he's about to do. In other words, Nehemiah, in many ways, is going to be the answer to his own prayer. Because he's, he's had this concern. He's taken it to God. And he feels that he needs to do something about it. And so he says, give your servant success. And it's only right at the very end of the chapter one that we learn that actually Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. And we know what a cupbearer does, don't we? Wasn't a great job. Well, it wasn't a bad job because you, you sat at the king's table and you, you ate and drank what the king was, was eating and drinking. And as long as nobody had snipped a bit of cyanide in his, in his drink or his eat, it was, it wasn't a bad job. But there was always that risk element to it as you took that little first sip of the drink or, or had that first taste of the meat. There was always that little bit of, there was, I guess there'd always be that moment where you took a drink and you, you wondered what was going to happen and, the king had probably watched you for a moment before he took it, before a drink, to make sure no one was going to happen. But he was a, he was a cupbearer to the king. Uh, in other words, he was in a place of great power and authority, and yet he had no power or authority. Uh, but he was in that place. And uh, a vision doesn't always require immediate action. That isn't an excuse to do nothing. You know, we've all been in places where people said, people come up with an idea and someone else says, I think we need to spend time praying about that before we do anything. And sometimes that can be actually putting a damper on something and saying, well, actually, we're not going to do anything. Uh, that isn't what prayer is about. Obviously, prayer is about doing something. So the fact that it doesn't need, need immediate action doesn't mean that we sit around doing nothing. 
It means that we spend time seeking God. It means that we make sure that the concern or idea that's been shared is, is something that is from God and not just another idea that the minister's come up with or another idea that the deacons have come up with. We have to make sure that it's a, not just a good idea, but it's actually a God idea. And, uh, you know, we've been, uh, we've been relatively successful in, in drawing people into this uh, church at different times of the year and uh, by doing uh, different things. Sometimes uh, the church has been quite full of people uh, who don't know Jesus. And uh, we've been able to, uh, to reach people through the fun days and through uh, quiz nights and other things. Uh, we've been able to, to draw some, some people from our community into this place. And there's a sense in which, you know, how do we actually move on from just drawing people into the church for different uh, occasions to actually talking to them about Jesus, to actually uh, giving people the opportunity to hear uh, the good news. And this is hopefully part of our, our vision, hopefully part of our concern. You know, sometimes it is good uh, just to sit around and, and dream and think about, the, uh, about what church might be like. Um, when I first came, the first church weekend that we did, uh, we called it the dream weekend. And we just dreamed about uh, what the church might look like. The funny thing is, in one of the dreams or one of the pictures uh, uh, that the children did, I don't really remember, the children drew a picture of what they would like the church to be, and it had a great swimming pool in it. Well, the other Tuesday night, as we were getting ready for Kids Club, of course, the baptistry was there uh, with the water in, and uh, one of the kids said, oh, great, can we bring our swimming stuff on Sunday? And, uh, you know, and I wondered, I wonder whether they remembered that picture that one of them drew with a swimming pool in the church. And, uh, you know, it's good just to, just to, to, to dream about what the church might be and what we'd like it to be. But we have to take it on from there uh, to make those dreams a reality. And we do that by having that concern for the people. If we're really concerned for the people that live around here, we'll want to do something about it. We'll want to reach them uh, with the good news about Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean that we have to rush out straight from here and go start knocking on doors and, and saying to people, you know, do you know Jesus Christ? Are you saved? Uh, but it does mean that we have to reach out into our community. And one of the things that we're going to be doing later on this week as we meet uh, on Friday, some of us are meeting together, to look um, at coming up with some questions for a questionnaire that we're going to take out into the community to try and find out what concerns people in our community have and whether any of those concerns touch our hearts and make us want to respond by saying, well, actually, we can do something about this. We've had conversations uh, with people, uh, not from age concern, but with a, a group in Rosendale that are working with uh, over 55s. And one of the, the things that they've occupied, or, um, they've recognised at the moment is, is that this thing about isolation, about especially with older people living in isolation, not seeing people from day to days. And as they shared that with a small group of us, straight away we, we said, well, we can do something about that. As a church, uh, you know, we do draw people together from the community and we can, we can meet that need in the, in the community. And wouldn't it be heartbreaking to think that there were people uh, just a stone's throw from where we are now who are sitting in isolation who won't see anybody today, 
who won't uh, even have a conversation with anybody today, that they're isolated and lonely. And that here we are, you know, uh, praising God and worshipping, having a great time, sharing fellowship together, having tea and coffee. Uh, and there's a danger that if we're not careful, we can do all those things, and it's great to do them without having any impact whatsoever on our local community. And so we're trying to reach out through this survey, and if you want to get involved in that, uh, then, you know, speak to me or to Jean or to Ros. Uh, you know, if you've got ideas and good questions to ask, you know, do feed those into us. Because uh, during the month of July, we hope to take this survey out. And it'd be great if you feel that that's a gifting that you have, just to chat to people. Again, we'll be looking for people to go and knock on. We are going to be knocking on people's doors and just saying, you know, we're from the local uh, Baptist church. And we just want to ask a few questions about this community and the perceived needs that you think there are in this community. Hoping that out of that, something will be born that something will happen, uh, that God will speak to us about what we should be doing as a church. So we want to be reaching out. And uh, there's things that we need to do before we actually launch because a vision begins as a concern. We hope that we will discover concerns as we talk to people uh, living in and around the church. Uh, We will soak this thing in prayer. Uh, the last prayer meeting that we had, it was uh, it was really encouraging. There was, uh, uh, you know, a relatively good number of people that gathered and just spent an evening in prayer. And I would encourage you uh, to come along to the local to the uh, you know monthly prayer meeting. Uh, it's normally the third, or is it the fourth Monday in uh, in the month? It's in the diary. Come along to that prayer meeting and seek God uh, for the people of this community. So a vision is born out of prayer. And a vision does not always require immediate action, but that doesn't mean we sit around and do nothing. We're in that period of preparation as we are getting ready to launch ourselves into this community to share the good news of Jesus. Because I long to be you know, in a church where baptising people isn't just a, a rare occasion, where it's happening all the time. I long to be in a, in a church where we are continually receiving new members. We're going to be receiving some people into membership this morning, which is great. Hallelujah. But we want to be doing that all the time. You know, we've just finished looking at the early chapters of Acts, and one of the things that we noticed in that is that daily they were adding people to their numbers. And uh, don't you long to see that as a church, that we're daily... Uh, weekly, monthly, uh, seeing people come to faith. That's a a dream. Uh, Maybe it's a vision uh, for our church to see, you know, this baptistry open two, three, four times a year as people come to faith. And so let's seek God. Let's be inspired by the story of Nehemiah, a cup holder uh, in the palace, uh, you know, testing the king's food and drink but when he hears this news his heart is broken and he decides he's going to do something let's decide that we're going to do something to reach this community with the good news of Jesus Christ Amen We're going to move into